On this episode of Clinical Express, we have a very special guest. We have Tom Farrell, who is a Nike athlete, uh, ran in his past Olympics in the 5K. Uh, and personally, Joel got to work with him at Oklahoma State, uh, where he ran cross country and track and did some pretty incredible things there. Um, it's a highly entertaining episode. Uh, lots of good information, as Tom is very in tune with what he's got going on in his running and his training and just how to continually make steps forward. Um, to advance his career along with that we have put out this week uh cp exercise runners um edition and it's mainly for the hips it's just some basic things to help strengthen the hips hopefully prevent some injury um, help work on some general posture strength and everything while you are out there running so be sure to check that out uh, we really hope you enjoy this episode and make sure to check out everything that we have at clinicallypress.com On this episode of Clinically Pressed, we are with Tom Farrell, who is a Nike athlete, uh, former athlete of mine um, at Oklahoma State that I got to work with uh, during his time there. And we're going to talk pretty much everything running. Uh, I know from Tom's time at OSU, he was very in tune with his running, in tune with his training programs, uh, way more than I would say almost anybody on the team, or at least when he was. He was very intelligent about it, where others maybe just weren't as so i'll give you that compliment there so you want to just give a little bit of your background and like how you got started and where you've gone i think that'd be an awesome place to start yeah sure um my parents are both athletes they were my mom was a high jumper my dad was a uh, middle to long distance runner like myself um so i always kind of tell people i grew up on a red surface i was kind of dumped down at the track when they would be training on a Tuesday, Thursday night, um, and then taken to competitions and just roamed around the country at different surfaces and different tracks um, for my, a lot of my youth. So that's kind of where the, um, I guess, the love of the sport came from and then just kind of progressed through the levels in, at the UK through regional and international. Um, and then I got recruited by Oklahoma State, um, Dave and Bobby, uh, who are still both there now. They recruited me to join the team and I went completely on a whim. Um, I didn't visit <laughs> um, and I, a lot of people, well, I didn't really know where I was going in all fairness and, and Stillwater, Oklahoma um, <laughs> seemed cool um, <laughs> on paper and the team looked great. That was, that was my main thing was I looked on the team, I looked at the roster, um, saw that the like the caliber of the guys who I'd be training with were much higher than my level at, the, at that time. So I thought, right, they can't get much better than this. Um, there weren't many athletes, British athletes at the time, who stayed within the UK system and the university system that we have at home, who then kind of progressed into the international ranks. So I kind of just thought, I need to do something different, give it a whirl um, and see what happens. And so I, I did actually keep my place at British University um, in Birmingham. I kept it for a year just in case kind of, 
the proverbial hit the fan when I was in Stillwater and I could kind of fall back on um, Birmingham. But once I got to Stillwater, it was kind of like within two weeks, I called the university at home. I was like, no, nah, I'm not coming. <laughs> Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so then did four and a half years at OSU um, where I made some, kind of, some, well, some big jumps and some great progression. Um, and certainly I, I, I say this all the time, and I'm obviously very biased towards the NCAA system because it works so well for me, but I wouldn't be where I am today without the help of um, Oklahoma State and Dave Smith um, and kind of the whole setup there, whether, whether it was medical or academics um, or uh, the training and the support we had. So, And then that led me on to um, speaking with Mark Rowland, who's the head coach. Yeah, so uh, Mark, I spoke to Mark Rowland, who's the coach of the Oregon Track Club Elite in um, Eugene, Oregon, um, and who I'd seen them around. Um, one of my friends was on the team who's uh, kind of I look up to, he's 10 years older than me. Um, he's British as well. So, um, And I, I joined those guys in October, September, October of 2014. And from then on, it's been um, a lot Diff- no, I wouldn't say too much different training, but a lot more um, professional, a lot more time to uh, focus on the little one percenters to, to, to kind of rounding off that 100%. Um, and then I had a great first year with them. I'm, I qualified for the final in Beijing, um, the World Championships for the 5K, and then qualified for the Olympics yes, last year where things didn't go so hot, but experience under the belt all the least. So, And that brings us here into 2017. Yeah, you had still remember with you at Oklahoma State the strides. A the cross country national championship, which I still say I looked out on to be a part of that. Um, I say I say I looked out on them as well. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good team if I remember. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, you guys were pretty stacked because we had another Olympian um, yep. on that team, and another guy that probably could if things had ever panned out well for him. So. Oh yeah, it was a uh, what was that? Twenty twelve or twenty eleven? Twenty eleven, yeah. Um, oh boy, might have been twelve. It was, it was yeah, twelve. We won in twelve. We 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 won it was in, in Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. Yeah, that was oh that year was. Yeah, that was. In, just love that town. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah, no, that was a good year, especially because for the names, the big names we lost the the year pr- previous to that. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. We lost German Fernandez, Colby Lowe, um, and so going into um, going into twenty twelve, it was kind of it was Dave. It was kind of banging on about how we had a lot of work to do, and we ended up smashing everyone. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that was probably what, that's probably the my favorite NCAA race because I wasn't completely dead at the end <laughs> but it went well so but yeah so i mean those four, four like i said earlier I, I didn't i had no idea what i was going into i knew that the team was decent but i didn't know what it meant to have that kind of caliber athletes translate into the NCAA cross country scene um and to for my my first year i redshirted cross country but my 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 four years of cross country we went first uh first second first third i believe um and the years we were second and third were massive failures yeah. um on and not necessarily failures on the side of um on the side of 
kind of people messing up and stuff, just a failure that we knew that we had the potential to win. Now I know that if you'd offered, if you offer a second or third, sorry, someone's trying to escape through this door. <laughs> um, if you offered a second or third to Dave and the boys in Oklahoma at the moment, on still right now, they'd, uh, they, they would certainly wouldn't see it as a failure. So it just shows you where the team was for the, that four year stretch. And, um, and how, how special for me it was to be there. At the time, it felt normal. We just, every year in November, we rolled around, we compete for a national championship, and 50% of the time, we won. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it showed you how um, how positive and how kind of unique it was for me to, and how lucky I was to, to experience that for four years. So, um, yeah, it's certainly a time I wouldn't forget, and I'd love to go back and do it again. Yeah, but I can believe I, that. I don't think that'll happen again. Ah. <laughs> uh. One I kind of want to talk about, and I'll leave it up to you how far you want to get into this, and if you don't want it in there, we can go. But uh, you had a very, very poorly timed foot injury um, yeah. for all the success that you've had. You know, what was it like coming back from that? And still, I mean, that was kind of right in the middle, second half of your college career. Yeah, so for that, and to still have the come back and you know not let it defeat you and the success you've had afterwards. Yeah, so I think I think um, it was early early 2012. Um, me and Dave sat down um, and kind of penciled out a plan for the coming year because it was Olymp- it was Olympic year and they're in London and the home home games don't roll around um, very often and 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 so and I don't think in my career another home Olympics will will roll around again. Excuse me, um, and so. We ran indoors, and then we decided to redshirt, redshirt outdoors, so that I could, um, we could kind of prepare and put what we said was put out myself or ourselves in the best position, best position possible for qualifying, qualifying for the Olympics. And so, indoors went well. Transition into outdoors went really well. Um, and then I flew out to Stanford, um, which is kind of the the distance running mecca in the U, in the US for to go and get your qualifying times, and which all went swimmingly well went even better than we thought and i smashed the a standard um and i in my eyes believe that i'd done the hard bit <clears throat> so i got the qualifier wasn't it yeah run 13 15 um Five. a big another nine 11 second pb yeah another 11 second pb so it was it was another huge race but kind of the olympic year the excitement of it being in london i think all kind of attributed to it i had a perfect stint of training in there as well so i thought that i'd done the hard bit and now it was just a case of, of me and dave sat down again and we we're like right let's just kind of almost go back to what we would kind of do in april because the olympics are in july august um and again everything was going well flew home and three weeks before the trials i got a stress fracture in my third metatarsal on my right foot so the dreams went crashing down through the drain extremely quickly um <clears throat> And so after about a week of kind of hope of, of Dave going, oh, people have run on stress fractures before, Tommy. Don't worry about it. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. You might, like, you might be able to get through the trials, get it done, and then you've got five, six weeks to the Olympics, so you can still kind of save this. And, and then we sent the x-rays through, and, and it, was, it showed up on an x-ray. It wasn't, I didn't need an MRI or anything. It was that bad. Um, and Dave was like, ah, yeah. Because um, <laughs> yeah. I was in a boot and I couldn't even put weight on the boot. It was that sore. So, um, so yeah, I took six weeks off. Um, didn't watch the trials. Couldn't bear to watch it. Didn't go to Olympics. Um, 
but watched part of it on TV. And then went back to Stillwater in the probably late August, early September, right for when school was starting. And uh, I remember one of the first team meetings, Dave was like, whoa, you've gained weight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've taken six weeks off, so yeah. Um, So it started off, and Dave can probably... Dave would probably back me up on this. It started off as probably one of the most stressful cross-country seasons ever, given that that was the same year that we ended up smashing it. Um, yeah. And Dave's kind of loading the pressure on early, going, look, we've lost some big, big names and big some big guys, and we're going to need people to step up. And here's me sat there thinking, I'm out of shape, I'm barely running, and he's, he's going to need another top 40 out of me. I have no idea how this is going to happen. Um, and so I guess the bounce-back process was fairly stressful but at the same time a lot of people would ask me are you not worried that it's going to happen again and I was like well if I think about my foot every time I go for a run then it, uh, it's, it's like it's never going to happen and plus whether it's true or not somebody told me that because with the point of where it healed <clears throat> it was probably stronger than any other part of my body at that time so I was like well it's not going to happen in the third met again so <laughs> we've got another nine options um, right. so uh, so yeah so I was just like right screw it go for it and I felt I didn't feel right. Things just weren't clicking. Um, I was doing sessions and they weren't, they were going okay, but they just weren't going like me. They weren't going great. And then the day before Big 12 cross country, I did some strides. We do like a, we jog around the course and I did some strides. And I went up to Dave and I was like, Dave, I feel good. (laughs) All all along through the season, Dave's like, don't worry, it'll come. Don't stress out. Don't stress out. And I don't know if he was stressed or not. He was trying not to show me that he was stressed. I was definitely stressed. I'm, I didn't do like that, but I don't actually know if he was stressed. I'm pretty sure he pretending that he wasn't stressed. Um, yeah. But but I secretly think he was, but he didn't tell me, and he'll never admit it to me. <laughs> um, but then I... Are we going again? No, oh, we got this. So. We good? Yeah. Um, and then I ended up uh, running really well at Big 12s, ran really well at regionals, and had my best nationals performance in cross country so i hate to admit it but he was right things didn't come together. um and uh things didn't come together things went well and uh we'd i had my best cross country season off the back of the injury so touch wood nothing has happened since i've had no major injuries since some little niggles all the time which is standard but um but uh but yeah so i think looking further into it i think it's probably although it was something that was horrendous at the time and I missed a home games. I think I probably learned a lot more from it about myself. Um, and like myself as an athlete kind of, and then moving forward into my professional career than, um, than if everything had gone swimmingly well and kind of, you just ride, I think you ride in that wave of everything going well, eventually there's gotta be a point where it crashes down. And I think I got quite lucky in that, it crashed down when I was 21 and not kind of, this sounds really bad, but when money's an issue um, right. as a professional athlete, um, I was in a lucky position where everything was covered at university. Um, I knew that when I, like at the end of the day, if, if everything, if, if everything had gone down the drain, then I was still going to go to university. I'll still finish my degree and I could then move on with my life. But um, yeah, so thankfully I've had no other major stress, major stress fractures or major injuries since, but I think, I probably have to certainly become a better person because of it. Absolutely. That's great. 
So what's it been like transitioning from the collegiate level to the professional level in terms of, you know, training and being more on your own? Um, so I'm, as I mean, Joel will agree with this. I, I'm, I'm a big team person. Um, as much as in this sport is massively individual, um, I like having a team of people around me, whether that's just coaches, physios, PTs, chiros, whatever it is, or whether it's also athletes. Um, I find that fairly um, important for my setup. So I'm lucky in that um, I joined Oregon Track Club. And so the transition from kind of the college scene to the professional scene has been fairly seamless. Um, I'm, it's kind of the, a lot of people struggle with going from having a like your structured kind of we train in the morning you go to classes or lectures in the afternoon and then you go we do training again in the afternoon while at college whereas obviously now i have no school and i love it <laughs> like, <laughs> not having anything to do is is i'm really good at doing nothing um, <laughs> and so uh, which is I, I mean we joke about it but it's important for it recovery is obviously huge in hugely important so I mentioned earlier how things became more um, more serious on the side of getting those extra percenters right. So I have, I have a more serious um, strength and conditioning program now. We do a drills and stride session each week um, with our what we call sprinters, but they're 800 meter runners. Um, uh, and then kind of more focus on sessions themselves. So we, we do between two and three sessions per week. Um, and so I think it's just more focus on those little things on, on my, my, my diet has got better. Um, I say that yeah, lightly, um, but, um, but yeah, so I think I, I personally haven't really struggled with the transition because I stayed in, I say within the U S I went to a team setup that like kind of already had their way. So I didn't have to remap something out for myself. It was kind of, I'm going to Eugene and I'm going to do what those guys do now. Um, so they go, oh, well, we go to the gym on a Monday and a Wednesday. So I go to the gym on a Monday and Wednesday. So it was already kind of there and built and built and set up for me. So um, I know there's some people in the sport and some people on the circuit who do struggle with kind of the transition from college to pro. And some, some people it doesn't go that well. Um, but I've luckily not found it too much of a problem. Um, and I enjoy the pro kind of the pro life as much as I enjoy the college life. Do you notice a big difference with your nutrition uh, in terms of performance when you're eating well or not so well? Yeah, I would say one of the one of the big areas that we've um, one of the big areas that we focus on this year, this year and that kind of we built into it and, and even more focus on this year is, is timing and recovery. Um, so yeah, I would say that's I can feel that um, when I ha when I haven't oh I've kind of missed the window I could feel I can feel the onset of kind of feeling either tighter or more lethargic and more tired fatigues um post sessions um but it's it is it, something that is really key um and kind of we're mapping out certain time like during certain times of year i've done um carb depleted afternoon into the next morning's run and then just carry on his eating as normal um kind of uh, protein before bed, like just certain things and what I'm mapping actual meals rather than just trying to eat healthy. Like, okay, look, is, is there actually any need for a, a big carb meal tonight? 
um, if you haven't got a big session in the morning. But if we have got a big session in the morning, then obviously you want to have a big carb meal the night before and a, and a, and a carb-based breakfast. So, yeah, I would say that that's, from college, I would actually say that's probably the biggest change um, is the kind of the attention to detail on, on nutrition. Um, and obviously attention to detail on training too, but I let my coach do that thinking i don't <laughs> i don't i try not get to, try not to get too involved with it as much as i want to but he he does all that thinking outside of, outside of me fair enough so how many race events are you doing right now through a typical year um so roughly somewhat roughly between 10 and 15 um races per year now i didn't race indoors this year and um, we took it i took quite a long break after the olympics um and then had a slow build up like very cautious build up didn't want to jump back into things too quickly um and then just decided look we could race indoors as, as, as... it was hard for me not racing indoors because i love racing so much this is why i'm in the sport um but i had to look at the long term kind of the benefits of just getting a big chunk block of training in leading into the outdoor season would, would probably be more beneficial for me and so we've done that so i'm actually i'm really looking forward to racing i should be opening up within the next two to three weeks i'm not sure where yet um but um it will be happening uh it'll be somewhere on the west coast whether it's stanford or oxy the meet this occidental college or maybe just the twilight meet that's in oregon uh, in eugene sorry one of those just to open up to get the ball rolling so um and then from then on it'll be probably every two to three weeks um through to hopefully the world championships in london so this year it's probably looking on the on the lower end of 10 to 15 um but yeah I, if i could i'd race every week because i love racing but mm -hmm. My coach would shoot me if I tried to do that. <laughs> Has the training style trained, changed a lot for you compared to what you were doing at OSU? Yeah. You can get into as many details as you want, but has it switched up quite a bit? Um, yeah, certainly intensity of, intensity of sessions and workouts has gone a lot higher. Um, but I look back to some of the weeks I put together when I was in Stillwater, and I don't know how I did it. <laughs> um, like, I don't want to say I'm getting old, but like we have to be so careful now. Um, so we, I would say I ran quick when I was in college, as in for my day-to-day -day runs that wasn't a workout, I would say I ran quick and I was obsessed with running quick. And I think a lot of collegiates probably are. Um, and now my coach can't get me to run slow enough on, de on normal day-to-day -day runs. Um, because those day-to-day -day runs are recovery-based rather than kind of just going out and running. So if we've done a session on the Tuesday, Wednesday morning's run is all about, look, just run. Don't worry about what your Garmin's saying or how fast you're running or how slow you're running. Just get it done nice and easy. I wear a heart rate monitor a lot now to monitor um, my zones, and he, he tells me what not to go over um, on an easy run, and then obviously tempo zones, we control it as well. Um, and and again, more more attention to details. So um, I, I can't remember if I had it on my Instagram or maybe on my story, my Instagram the last couple of weeks. Um, I mean, I've done it over the last few years, but we've been lactate lactate testing from either the earlobe or the, or the finger um, for tempo sessions or track sessions to see where my lactate's going and if it's doing the right things and if it's um, it's one thing like it's one thing my heart my heart rate could be saying i'm good but if my lactate through the roof then something's kind of up so we've been keeping track of that that's something that we didn't do in college nice. um, um which I, I i love the science side of stuff the testing we have done um i have test prop have testing done probably once 
uh, between two and three times a year. So VO, um, not necessarily VO2 max, but definitely sub max, um, just to see where things are at with tempo zones and working those out. Um, and so, yeah, there's more more attention to detail. And I guess just because there's less of us and coaches is able to do it, he's got a, um, a bigger budget that goes further for each athlete because there's not, I mean, at OSU, there was probably 25 men, 25 women, if, if not more. Um, right. So I think that just attention to detail is more. Um, but, yeah, sessions and intensity of those have gone up, way up. Um, <clears throat> I thought I did some hard sessions at OSU, but <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't really. <laughs> if only they knew. If only the the crew knew. I know. Well, yeah. I mean, even, even if they even if they could put together some of the sessions that we did while I was in college. <laughs> right. But uh, but no. But it's something that I it's something that I really enjoy. Um, it, like the session, the sessions and races is what we live for. Um, and then my the group. The team that I'm part of is it, it's a very very light-hearted group. Very like what we was at OSU constantly talking smack to each other um talking about who's going to beat who in this next rep and who won the session and who won the workout and it's all fun and games but we all work really well together across a, a different event groups and uh it's a really positive environment to be in and i think that kind of makes a big 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 change as well i think um i was lucky enough to be part of that at osu as well we were part of a I was, I was certainly part of a very positive environment what, for those four, four and a half years I was there. Um, and so I think that's vital to uh, action as well. So, so how about with your current training cycle in Albuquerque? How long do you guys stay there and train? Um, so I'm, we're here, for, we'll, be, we'll have been here for five weeks in total. We leave on Sunday, I believe. Um, and so we've done a five-week stint. Like I mentioned earlier, um, we've we normally do Flagstaff, um, which is a couple thousand feet higher. I think we're at between five and five and a half um, thousand feet at the moment um, in in Albuquerque. Um, Flagstaff is about seven, six and a half to seven. Um, so I've never trained out of here, and I think most of the people on the team haven't trained out of here before. Um, I know that. Mark, our coach, has done a stint here with the team before, but I think kind of the way it was mapped out, kind of completely different crop of athletes have not crossed over. Um, and so we, we use altitude um, certainly this time every year. Sometimes we do it, um, I've done it before in January as well, and then I've also done it in the summer um, prior to championships, so post-trials. going out In the last three years, I've been in Fontremeau, which is in the... Um, which is in the Pyrenees in France, um, which is about 6,000, which isn't too bad for that time of year because you're dropping into race and stuff. So this is a little bit lower, but it's enabled us to kind of, we, you adapt quicker um, and we're able to get down to um, not exactly at sea level times and paces, but not far off because the it, the altitude isn't, isn't as harsh, but the weather's been a lot better than it, ha it what has been for the last few years in Flagstaff for us. In Flagstaff, it was always nice nice weather um but not kind of not not warm but very windy in flag stuff as well so we've been we've been very lucky and the trails down here are, are, are a lot more forgiving um flags are flags are fairly hilly um so when you're trying to do a tempo your heart rate gets thrown off when you go up a hill even though you might feel good but your heart rate's gone through the roof so um here we've we've run along the rio grande there's a trail that goes on for miles and miles and miles 
but you're actually able to do the right tem you're actually able to get in the right tempo zone and actually kind of tick along so we'll have been here for five weeks and we drop down and kind of we'll um some of us will race straight away as in off the kind of the two-day drop down i think i'm probably going to drop down do a couple sessions see how they are and then kind of decide about racing and a race after probably 10 days or two weeks nice yeah. sounds good yeah is it a pretty significant difference that you notice uh coming down out of altitude um I'm I'm not one of these people who seems to notice it. People come down, they're like, "Yeah, I can taste the oxygen." Um, <laughs> but uh, it, certainly, the benefits, you, like the, the benefits you get out of kind of dropping down, and the science behind it is enough for me to kind of see the progress. And so, the idea I think this time is that we're going to come down, do a session, and hopefully have that kick us on rather than racing. Have do a do a tough session, do a key session, see where it kind of leaves us. And then uh, on me, and then we'll decide about where where we're going to go race. So um, uh, I'll kind of where where and when I'll race. Um, so yeah, so I think I think I do feel on easy runs when you come down, you can just tick along, and you you don't really realize how easy it feels, but how quick you're running the same effort. Um, I guess if I run the same pace I run up here down at sea level and I would think it was way way easier sure. but what normally what normally what happens with me is I drop down and I run not really quick on a normal run but I'll run quicker than I have been up here and think oh that was about the same effort so I guess in that sense yeah I do feel that um, but uh, but the biggest thing the biggest difference we notice is when we go down because we're in the middle of a desert here we go to Eugene and everything just seems really green again <laughs> which is nice oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's um, it it's always it's always a good time of year for us. I I really enjoy the training camp kind of mentality and system and everything that we have in place. Um, and I, although I tried to keep my time in the US, but kind of although I've been in, been in the US since two thousand nine and I, and it is kind of it is home for me. I also like to keep it as much as a training camp as possible. So I go home in the summer to the UK. Um, post post season and have a, like a, a month of normally a week or so off a couple weeks off and then a couple weeks of running around with my old friends um but then when i come back to us i like to view it as like training camp mode again um so i know a lot of people on the team in coming to places like albuquerque or flagstaff because it's kind of like the training camp mentality gets switched on but i think mine's always on when i'm in the us um it's always kind of jobs on but it's probably even more on when we're in altitude because things like recovery sleep and nutrition are even more important when the body's under even more stress up here mm -hmm. so yeah sense. so it's yeah it's interesting i went out to breckenridge and uh tried going for a run and <laughs> i'm by no means a, a runner but uh i thought i was literally gonna die it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you always forget i think i always forget how bad it is coming up to altitude because the cycle that happens even though we do it i'll do it twice a year maybe two stints a year maybe three um what happens is you come up to altitude the first week is ridiculously hard mm. on like normal runs walking up the stairs you're like out of breath yeah. um and then you train really well you drop down and you race and you race really well or you hopefully race really well <laughs> and then in your mind 
all the only thing, it's just positive. It's like altitude is amazing. I've raced well, great. And then like you go back up to altitude again, you're like, oh, this is a breeze. I'm going to race really well off it again. And then you like, you walk up some stairs and you're like, oh no, I forgot about this side of it. Yeah. But no, I, I do like altitude. Although I've never been tested for whether my hemoglobin mass does have a change or not. I don't really want to know because I believe it does. Um, sure. yeah. I, and so I, the, the ben, like I've got there's a mental benefit for me being here so I'm fine with it being here I know some of the Americans on the team um, one of the USATF doctors did a study over the last few years and he was able to get funding to measure their hemoglobin mass pre and post altitude trips so um, they were able to do that and so they found out what their percentage change was or no percentage change and I'm just happy knowing that I fully believe that I get a benefit out of it, but nothing wrong with that for sure. Yeah. For all I know, I do. <laughs> Where are your favorite places to race, indoor and outdoor? What are your favorite races? Indoor and outdoor. Um, indoor would probably be Seattle in the okay. uh, the Dempsey Arena. Um, three hundred meter. Yeah, three hundred seven meter. Uh, be- beautiful track. All the fans on the all the fans on the infield. Yeah. All the coaches lined up against the back wall. Um, my, my answers are probably just going to be where positive experiences are happened, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then uh, outdoors, it'd be quite a toss-up, really. Probably somewhere that I've, I've had a lot of positives and, and, and it's such a beautiful place to race, it would probably have to be Stanford. Um, uh, would, with it being the track being a great track, but then surrounded by a great... Um, campus, a great area. I love California. It's a great, great, well, one of my favorite places in the world. Um, but yeah, where else? I mean, the breeze ob- isn't rough for that one. <laughs> yeah, it, that's, a, that's a beautiful one to watch. Yeah, um, and so I think that that kind of that the the vibe you get from that one's always great. Um, <clears throat> but then I probably have to say the bird's nest in. Beijing as well. That's a pretty uh, impressive stadium. Although, I, I, well, I, I luckily I got to race in it twice in the same week. Um, so yeah, so I think th- those are probably the, the indoor and outdoor. Yeah, if we went to cross country, I'd probably have to go Louisville. <laughs> Naturally, <laughs> yeah. But I've retired. I've, re- I've retired from cross country. <laughs> I noticed you didn't say Fayetteville in any of those. Yeah, we raced at Fayetteville a lot, actually. <laughs> I know we were there a lot. I'm not yeah, um, terribly surprised that it's not one of your favorites. No, it's not. Yeah, surprisingly, it's not up there. Um, <laughs> the outdoor track, I had a lot more positive experiences on it than indoors. There you go. Um, I actually ran, what did I run? Two of my 15 PBs there. Okay. So, yeah, outdoor. Outdoors, the trials enjoy the track. I, one of my favorite things about going to the outdoor meets there was talking to John McDonnell, the legendary Irish coach. Oh, yeah, for sure. um, that was one of the reasons why I loved I loved going to race though, was because I knew that there was a chance I'd talk to John. Um, but that's just because I'm a nerd of the sport. That's not because <laughs> I didn't mean anything else. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, I've had there's, some, there's been some bad ones, but there's also been some good ones. I didn't say Iowa. That's yeah, yeah. That, that's not a good one. Everybody <laughs> yeah. uh, well, loves Ames, so yeah, Ames, Iowa. It's a good track. I just never raced well there. Like it's a great yeah. track, but I just never raced well. Um, my last yeah, memory so, of that was getting stuck in the bus because the door froze shut in Kansas. <laughs> that was so cold, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. 
yeah. You ate the Waffle House out of food or the whatever the IHOP. Right. <laughs> yeah, those are like some of the. I sit here sometimes and we'll talk about college because obviously a lot of the guy, a couple of the guys uh, we raced against each other through college, and we talk about our college experiences and this and the other and like some of those like some of the biggest things that stick out for me is like and people and i thought it was just like i said how lucky we were for those four and a half years that the buses that we traveled on the oh, two yeah. of us the two of us is is like it's just next level and i think the guy well i know the guys still travel on them now but like i've heard stories of, of the, like some of the guys here traveling like nine hours in a 15 passenger van and i'm like yeah i guess we were quite lucky we had xboxes <laughs> and wi-fi and right. satellite tv yeah beds. it was great tables beds yeah the works so yeah so i mean some of the i look I, one of that's one of the things i do miss about college is those tri those trips those trips away especially the bus trips as long as 10 hours on a bus sounds it, it, it flew by when you had just all sorts going on and you could get up and walk around or lie down whenever you wanted definitely <laughs> uh yeah you guys got any more questions I don't know. There's a couple more you know, on the sheet. I yeah, the one I kind of had and I would get into it is just like, what big mistakes do you see with like? It, I mean, you can cover wherever you want, but the high schooler that's trying to get to college, or the college kid that's trying to maximize their career, like things that you've seen through teammates and just in your own experience that you think are mistakes or myths or anything like that. Um, from the high school to the college level there's been such a change in training philosophies and expectations um of kind of, of well, certainly I'll, so i'll talk from the male side because that's a, it's i can obviously i can compare more but i coming out of high school i'd barely broken four minutes for a 1500 now there's american kids doing it every year they're getting close or breaking four minutes in high school which is it, which is incredible and it's great to see them doing it um some kid just went 401 the other day yeah and some kid went four flat point zero or something like that and which is great for them it's incredible but I, I think it's just come from there's more knowledge out there on training now there's more science knowledge is easy accessible through the internet um people share their um theories techniques beliefs or whatever so i think <clears throat> that's not necessarily a negative thing but it also means that the as long as their expectations stay grounded in that in that period as they transition into college i think i understand i fully understand kids want in the best four years of college that they can get and um i'm obviously with being based in eugene i i, I see a lot of I, not that we we barely ever actually see them because of just timings of sessions don't cross or anything like that but um the oregon kids i mean it's an amazing setup they've got some if, i mean i thought osu's facilities were good i mean yeah no kidding like it take the oregon kids it takes it to a whole new level um which might not be a good thing but i'll that could be a discussion for another day um but um and so i think their expectations if they run four flat in high school they think all right well i've got to go quicker in college now i think you've got to give yourself a year Give yourself a year and a half to fully adapt to a new coach and you're surrounding you're away from home you're eating you're on your own um you've got things like ice baths you've got recovery shakes you've got all these sorts of things that get added into the mix um 
you're, you're going to college lectures or classes that you don't actually have to go to. Like your, your professor's going to get paid whether you go or not. Um, uh, and so I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of external influences that change going, going to college. Um, and so I think that was one of the big things that I did. I, I kind of, I went very, very relaxed into it. And I was like, right, I don't expect, I'm not expecting anything of my first year while I was in Stillwater. And, and I, had, I was very lucky in that I ended up running really well indoors and really well outdoors. And I kind of exceeded my expectations. But that's because I think my expectations were actually quite low. Um, and so I completely understand high schoolers training as hard as they can and putting all the work in as much as they can so that they can get to the best, get as much scholarship as they can to get to the best university to try and have the best four years. But I'd much rather see kids kind of let it come naturally, maybe not squeeze and push out the box just as of yet, because then you can get more benefits and progress more in the college environment once you've adapted to it fully. Um, there's numerous high schoolers in the US and in the UK, um, but since I'm in the US, it, it doesn't, I see more of it, but a lot of them come into the, the college system and and the media doesn't help because people think websites that are great, but like Flowtrack build up these kids, you know, he's run 359 or he's run four flat and he's the next Alan Webb or the next Matt Centric or the next, so all these big names get thrown into the Manhattan. And I'm sure it feels great for the kid, but it also puts a lot of pressure on them. Right. Um, and so then their expectations go high. So they might run 343, 342 for 1500 in their first year. And then they do the, 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 the typical mile to 1500 conversion and they realize they haven't actually run quicker than what they did in high school. But if they're not injured and they've had an enjoyable first year and they've competed for the university and they may have scored at a conference meet, you've actually had a fairly good first year. Like use it and bounce into your second year. Because um, four years is a long time. Um, and then I think going forward, leaning into, um, college into the pro scene, I think, uh, and I've had kids contact me who are in college, um, and who are at OSU as well. And they'll, if they do watch this, they'll, they'll know who they are, um, <laughs> who've kind of said, right, I want to go pro. What do I do? And, and I've said, look, let it happen and don't force it because, the more you stress out about it, the more pressure you put on yourself and your performances are going to get affected. Um, one of the kids spoke to me um, uh, or texted me mid, mid cross-country season and he was like, I want to go pro, I want to go pro, what do I do? And I, I, I replied, I said, look, unless you're winning cross-country, no one really cares. Um, so forget about it race for the team, race your socks off, run as hard as you can. And if you run well, they will spot you, but it's what you do in track that is way more important because nobody really cares too much about cross country. And then if you do anything special in track, they're more likely to see you. And the next race, he ran really well because he wasn't stressed out about it. So I think letting it happen is a lot more, um, and being relaxed and enjoying the process is more important than being stressed about it and trying to, impress the big shoe companies or the agents that then go on to and talk to shoe companies. So that's probably my advice there. Um, and, and biggest mistakes is college kids probably squeezing a little bit too much, trying to get to that next level. Um, <clears throat> we've seen numerous professionals who weren't really anybody coming out of college who've, who've then maybe got a part-time job for the first year or two years 
and then kind of they've progressed well and, and, and then made the professional ranks and they've got a good contract. They don't work anymore. And sometimes it takes that to be a better athlete because they, they kind of, they've been working and now they respect the, the, the kind of the professional life a lot more than um, people who are, who, again, who expect to be professional. Um, so I think, and I think people expect more of themselves, which is fine. Expectations are great. Um, but at the same time, you've got to have realistic expectations, which is um, something that is, is is kind of important in 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 every event, in every sport. Um, you've got to have you've got to have goals, but you've got to have realistic goals, things that you can achieve, not things that are completely out of the realm of possibility. Um, Makes sense. But yeah, so that's uh, probably a bit of a long-winded answer, but that's I think that's my beliefs. <laughs> no, I think that'll be really good. Mm -hmm. No. Absolutely. There was there was one more thing that I I know Joel you'd be dying to get into that was on that piece of paper. <laughs> was it the WebMD thing? Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> it was really funny. I actually, well, I actually back, yeah backstory about how you used to give all your teammates crap about hopping on WebMD and how it was my major pet peeve. Yeah, I got on WebMD last night and I actually off. I actually told some I told somebody I'm living with him in the house at the moment. I told him the story the other day because. Something was said about WebMD, and I was like, "Oh, mate, don't, don't." Um, <laughs> I uh, I came home one day. Well, it was like Sunday. I came home for a run Sunday afternoon, and I got this. I had this pain in the back of my hamstring, and I stupidly went on WebMD, Googled it, WebMD it, and it was just like, "Well, yeah, to femoral stress fracture." So I barely slept, and then I walked into the training room Monday morning, went straight to Joel's office, and went, "Right, Joel." do whatever you need to do to tell me this isn't a femoral stress fracture. And he goes, yeah, okay. And he told me it wasn't. I went, you're going to, and he goes, why? And I went, I went away with MD and I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's the, uh, the other piece of advice would, would to other people, but to kids and college athletes, don't go on WebMD. <laughs> because it's either a stress fracture or something that you're terminally ill and you're not going to survive right yeah <laughs> every cold is something terrible <laughs> right. yeah thankfully yeah. just a little hamstring tightness and you're up and running yeah. shortly thereafter yeah. so yeah yeah some ART and I was good to go there you go <laughs> no, didn't miss a single session only <laughs> nope you everything was fine sleep. it made it much <laughs> yeah. better though when you were feeling better I'm sure <laughs> oh god yeah I was like I was on cloud nine by Monday <laughs> <Yeah>. afternoon because <laughs> I didn't have a femoral stress right yeah <laughs> Yes, I don't actually think I've ever been on that website since. No, not, probably not a bad thing. Good luck, Boston. Yeah, sorry, sorry, WebMD. Yeah, we won't ask for a sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get linked from those guys. There you go. <laughs> well, anything else you want to cover? I think we kind of hit all our major questions, and we can go into kind of our ones that we ask everybody at the end, unless there's anything else you want to cover. No, I don't think so. I think I'm... Uh... I think I, when I read that, I think it was a lot of areas that we kind of touched upon and covered, and, and I think that um, there wasn't anything that stood out that we should add in. So, um, yeah, fire away with your fire away with your questions. You guys want to start? Um, yeah. What would be something that you believe in that others may not, and it can relate to running or just anything in life? Something that I believe in, but others may not. Um. Oh, now then. I probably should have thought about these questions after reading. <laughs> no, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think 
in as much as this this sport is um skill and precise training and everything is thought through to thought through process <clears throat> it's also a massive gamble every single year and <clears throat> there's those those silly quotes that you see online that say something like the first time's a mistake and the second and third time's a choice well like i think we choose every year that we're going to push our bodies to the max as far as we can get to that red line and then try and find this minuscule red line and ride it for as long as possible um is a massive gamble now some people don't see it as a gamble some people don't and i know if my parents are watching this they'll probably say yeah yeah you gamble too much as in outside of running with like betting on sports and stuff which obviously i don't do in the us because it's illegal i only run do when i'm home right yeah. um and um a lot of athletes can relate to it we, we hear a lot of a lot of the time athletes have problems with gambling um and, and addictions and i think one we have a we have massively addictive personalities um with my training i'm either here or i'm not doing anything at all so like when i was injured i didn't even cross train i was like nope not doing anything i'm injured i can't be bothered um whereas but it was also because of the time of year and it didn't affect i wasn't trying there was nothing else to train for um and so I think, yeah, it's a gamble. I think a lot, and, and I can relate to a lot of people who have gambling problems because say you go to a casino and you have one good night, you play or slots, whatever it is, you have one good night at a casino. In the back of your mind, even if you go to the next, the next time you go and lose, in the back of your mind, you're going, yeah, but that one time I did go and hit it really well, there's, that might happen again. And so you go back and you go back and you go back. And I, I, that translates exactly into what we do in training every single year. We go as, as, as kind of my 2016 wasn't the greatest year I've ever had, but I know that 2015 was a very good year. And if I do that again, and, I, and I'm better than, I believe I can be better than I was in 2015, then it's going to be incredible. So every single week, every day, every year, month, whatever it is, I, it's a gamble but I'm willing to put my body on the line and give it a whirl and, and try and get up to that level. So I think, yeah, a lot of people don't see it as a gamble, but I see it as a massive gamble every single year um, and, and, and an enjoyable gamble. So when you go to the casino, you're just willing, you're okay, you're okay, I might lose $100, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's a great answer without yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Ended up being all right. Yeah, I like that analogy. The other analogy that Dave came up with one time was, People say happy cows produce good milk, but happy runners run fast. <laughs> Which I gave him crap for it at the time, but you know what? It actually makes sense. Dave, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. What's a fitness purchase you have or any other purchase for under $100? Can be related to fitness or health or nutrition or, or gambling. Fitness related. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the film Twenty One. Um, yeah. Um, um, the fitness. Uh, my heart rate monitor was sixty dollars. Okay. But then the watch that went with it was about three hundred and fifty. That's not necessarily hundred, hundred, hundred. Um, things like foam rollers, um, softballs, golf balls, just. Go to any professional runner's house, like, because we've got three houses here at the moment on camp with 
like three different sets of athletes and we've got just go into any living room and they're just scattered all over the floor um nice. stretch ropes like you've got um i get yelled at for having that at my house yeah you've got, you've got bands around the bottom of your couch so you can do your activations in the morning and <laughs> uh, so i guess those things really just those little things that keep you healthy um for under 100 you could probably get quite a few of them for under 100 under 100 dollars yeah, um but yeah, but for for the amount of times I use it, probably my heart rate's the most. Some the heart rate monitor is probably the what I use the most. Very cool. Oh, I'm trying to remember what the other ones are. Book recommendations. Book recommendations. Just out of curiosity. Um, I'm not a massive reader. Or Audible recommendations, if you're more of a listener. Yeah. Um, the book I'm reading at the moment is by um, an ex. International ping pong, or I shouldn't really call it ping pong, table tennis um, athlete called Matthew Syed, who's a British journalist. Um, and he wrote, he, you, you may have heard of the first book he wrote. He wrote Bounce, the 10,000 hour rule. Yeah. Yeah. So he wrote a second book called Black Box Thinking. Um, and although I'm only halfway through it, it's, been, it's so far been very good. It's about kind of open and closed loop thinking. So a lot of us make a lot yeah it's interesting in, in that a lot of us make mistakes and are not willing to learn from them <clears throat> one of the the two industries that he compares are the airline industry um <laughs> this book was written before united yeah. um, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the airline industry and the um well uh, the medical industry or the or more hospitals really and what happens in the airline industry with the black box is when a plane goes down 99% of the time they find a black box they know exactly what happened exactly what went wrong everybody in the industry gets told and it ha doesn't happen again kind of thing or, or they try and limit it happening again in the medical industry someone will mm -hmm. die and doctors go well it wasn't my fault it was a mistake or that shouldn't have happened but okay and it just kind of gets swept under the carpet um, and nothing's really done about it. So I think the stat that he wrote in his book was that if the rate of deaths in a hospital, if it was translated into the airline industry, I think it's something like a 747 going down every two weeks. Wow. So, and so that was the start of the book on open and closed, open and closed loop, closed book, open, closed loop thinking. Mm -hmm. um, but, the reason why I bought the book is because I listened to a podcast, um, which is a British podcast um, done by BBC Five Live, which is done with Andrew Flintoff, who's an international cricketer, um, who's dealt with and openly developed, uh, openly spoke to how he um, dealt with depression during his career or towards the end of his career. Um, and then Robbie Savage, who is a international footballer, um, soccer player, um, who was kind of hated on the field by everybody, really. He was a very... Um, brash footballer soccer player but he's actually become very liked at the moment and then matthew side the ping pong guy or the table tennis player and the three of them sit down every week and just talk about um different aspects in um sport so ticket prices drugs um training kids development the dropout rate things like that um anything and nice. they talk about anything so i listen to that that's normally my friday if i'm not if i'm not doing a session on a friday that's normally my friday run plug in for an hour and just kind of listen to those three and I find it really interesting so that's what I've been listening to recently 
Sounds good. Oh, we've kind of had on our as our tagline, making the complicated simple. And so kind of in your area, like running and something that can get very complicated with the training, if you were to try and like dumb it down or make it simple for everyone, how, what would you say? For, for my event or for running in general? Uh, why don't we just say running in general? It's one foot in front of the other. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that is my, my co I've stole that from my coach. I should probably give him credit in case he listens to it. It's unlikely he's going to actually listen to this, but, watch <laughs> this, but um, he, um, he, he says like for our recovery runs, he's like when he's like a mic drop. Right yeah, don't, worry, don't worry about pace. Just one foot in front of the other. And I think uh, it, translate, it can translate to everybody because it doesn't matter how quick, who you are, how good of a runner you are, how experienced of a runner you are, it all starts with one foot in front of the other. And then whether you run for a minute and then walk for a minute, run for a minute and build up from there to running a 5K or on, on, a, on a kind of a hobby level or whether it's training for a marathon. We've seen obviously the Boston Marathon this weekend, um, running a marathon or a half marathon. I've had a lot of friends who ask me for advice and, and training and all this kind of stuff. And I just went, look, you've just, if it's a half marathon, you've just got to run. Like it's just got your body's just got to get used to running for 13.1 miles or 26.2, whatever it is. So, yeah, to dumb it down as much as all on if it was a track, just uh, it's a Seb Co quote, we just run fast and turn left. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> those would be my those yeah. would be my two comments. Perfect. Uh, then the yeah. last one that we got is if you could go back 10 years and give yourself some advice on things that you may do differently with your training or um, competition prep, what would you go back and tell yourself? 10 years. Or even five years if you want to go back 10, I don't know. Um, I probably, I mean, I know it's true now, but I'd probably go back and actually tell myself that and I'd, my dad's definitely going to watch this and I, how I can't, I, I'm going to have to say it, but he is right. Um, <laughs> yeah. in that ever since I was a young kid, he's always said to me, before a lot of my races, um, and 99% of the time it's true, um, or my probably 99.9% .9 of the time it's true, is that he's always said, look, whatever happens today is not going to change your life. Um, and so I think 10 years ago, I probably kind of half believed it. Um, but I think now being kind of where I am now is where I, where I kind of hoped I would be when I was 16, looking forward, I wanted, I'd love to be a professional athlete. Um, and so I think, yeah, enjoy the process as much as you can because it's one thing I used to say in college all the time to the guys when we before before we'd race is that like we do this for enjoyment. We train our asses off um, to race, and so if you get let the stress get too much, let let it get get the stress get to you too much, you don't enjoy it, and then you come off the race having not enjoyed yourself. Then why do it? Like if you don't enjoy it, then like there's no point in my eyes. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of doesn't matter what, like the quote of what my dad says to me, it doesn't matter what happens today, it's not going to change your life. And most of the time he's right. Um, even when I did get a stress reaction for the Olympics and I thought my, the world was crumbling before me, it turns out that everything's fine. We're five years down the line. <laughs> Sounds good. Nice. So yeah, that's, that's probably the, the, the one, the two things I would say for that. I guess then in closing, uh, if people wanted to follow you or follow your progress and career, um, anything you want to plug or anything like that? 
Um, yeah, sure. My Twitter is at Tom Farrell GB, and my Instagram is at Tom Farrell One. Um, I'm not as active on my uh, Facebook kind of fan page, whatever it's called, um, as as what I am. But uh, all my social media is open to follow. My Snapchat's open as well, um, and and I think my email address, my, 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 I have an email address that's out there as well. Send me, if you want to send me an email, speak to me about anything, contact me about whatever it is, um, feel free to do so. I, I, I do try and get back to all the people that do send me messages. So, awesome. um, yeah, feel free. And uh, thank you very much, guys. It's been great. Yeah, yeah thank you. Appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Best of luck with the rest of your training. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much. And uh, have a good day. Thank you for checking out this episode of Clinically Press. Go to clinicallypress.com for full show notes and links to everything that was covered in this episode. While you're there, you have access to all of our episodes, insights, and shorts. You can find Clinically Press on YouTube and any, any other podcast outlet. If you could give us a rating, thumbs up, or review on how we are doing, we would greatly appreciate it. To get more free content delivered to your inbox, sign up for Total Athletic Therapy Newsletter. You'll get direct links to all Clinically Pressed episodes, reviews on some of the latest research in health and performance, and links to related podcasts and other items meant to help you make the complicated, simple, and optimized performance. Thank you for listening, and see you next episode.